This episode of the Blackstick Global Podcast is sponsored by Blackstick Global Passport. Join aspiring Black expats, expats, and repats, where you can build community, get resources, and gain support along your journey abroad. You're invited to join Blackstick Global Passport. Inside Passport, you'll find exclusive workshops on everything from expat taxes, financial planning, insurance, job boards, accountability check-ins, and more more. You can even take Passport on the go with our app available for iOS and Android devices. Just click the link in the episode you're listening to or visit blacksitglobal.com and click on Passport. See you inside. It was interesting to say the least. It was shocking. It was overwhelming. It was at the same time beautiful. Close your eyes and imagine living a life you love unapologetic and unbothered, free from daily microaggressions from Karens and Kens, free from the fear of police brutality and systemic racism. Wouldn't that feel amazing? Now open your eyes. What if I told you that it's possible? Hear inspiring stories and get the actual blueprints from brothers and sisters of the diaspora who are living out their wildest dreams abroad. You've heard the term, now be inspired by the movement. I'm Krishan Wright, and this is Blacksit Global. I am so excited for this episode of the Blacksit Global podcast. For those of you in the Blacksit Global Facebook group, you may remember my next guest from our launch party that we did with Juanita Ingram. She is the producer, the executive producer of the Expat International Ingrams. But that is not all of her list of accomplishments. She is a wife, a mother, an attorney, as I mentioned, a producer, a pageant queen. I'm sure I'm leaving out a bunch of other things, but she's also a philanthropist. And we are going to have what I know to be a lovely conversation because she is joining me today from Singapore. Welcome to Blacksit Global, Juanita. Thank you. It is so great to be back. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So for, for those of you who, who don't know, Juanita and I actually had a conversation when she was in, because uh, she was in Taiwan before she moved to Singapore. And so it was like, oh, okay, now you're moving to Singapore. Let's put a pin on this one and we'll pick up the story in a new country. So yeah. you are well-traveled. You've, you've lived abroad with your family in London and now most recently Taiwan and you're in Singapore. And like I mentioned, you have so many accomplishments. And I want to unpack your story because you originated from Chattanooga, Tennessee. So (laughs) let's start there and give the folks a little something, something about your life in Tennessee. Oh, wow. Yeah. I love Tennessee. I still love Tennessee. I still love home. Uh, Chattanooga will always be home and my family's still there. You know, my mother, my father, my sister, all really all of my family. We have some people in Atlanta, a couple in New York, but that's where we're based and that was home. And I didn't leave the U.S. for the first time until I was 27, my honeymoon. And so I am 
a Tennessean through and through. I went to Tennessee State University, HBCU, um, for undergrad and uh, went to law school in Memphis. So I was straight Tennessee for a while and I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. I grew up what I know now, having met so many other black people from abroad who have uh, come from a variety of different backgrounds that I did have a bit of a unique upbringing in that my, and I still have friends, very close friends that I've known since I was like two or three years old. And I think it shaped the identity of who I am in terms of my blackness and awareness and the sort of maturation process of identity. Because my mother was an educator for 32 years. My father was a vice chancellor at a university. So education was very important. But I realized I grew up in like this all black environment where, you know, a different world was very much like a documentary of my, <laughs> my life. It was, I went to like this all black uh, kindergarten, nursery, you know, first grade through elementary, middle school was all black, high school was all black. Then I went to an HBCU. I was just, I was in culture shock when I went to law school to a, a predominantly white school. And I was like, this is so weird. <laughs> and I was in shock. Like, who y'all? <laughs> wow, y'all don't help each other study? That's strange. You know, because it was like Tennessee State University, I think, um, in addition to being from Chattanooga, but, you know, it was just a beautiful time in life. Literally, it was like, a different world. It was human. And that was real life where everybody poured into you. Everybody loved you. You were inherently great. I remember uh, Dr. Holt, who was over the honors program at TSU, just constantly telling us how wonderful we are and how great we are and how we're going to be, you know, outstanding at everything that we put our hands to. And it was such a nurturing environment and growing up in that type of environment was a blessing. It's funny because on the show, Zoe is one of the main characters on the show and she's this, you know, Scottish, black Scottish woman uh, who grew up in Scotland. And I told her, I was like, I've been to Scotland, girl. I didn't know there were that many black people there. And so, and, and she was like, you know, oh, Juanita, that's my Zoe impression. Oh, Juanita, you know, you're so black. You're just so in tune with your blackness. And I'm like, yeah, because, and I, and she and I had some really great discussions and I did not realize how unique that experience was. And people always ask me like, where exactly in America did you, <laughs> did you grow up? Like what neighborhood was that? But I think many of us have that experience and it, it has been a blessing. I have traveled to over, my husband and I just celebrated our 17th wedding anniversary. Ooh, happy anniversary. Oh, thank you. And he and I counted and we've been to over 30 countries. That from a, a little girl from Tennessee who hadn't left the country <laughs> until her wedding day. You know, it's been a, a journey of growth, but I think the foundation and the grounding that that gave me uh, has still served me to this day. That so. sounds so picturesque in a lot of ways, you mm -hmm. know, even though... I grew up in the Bronx in, in Co-op City, and it was quite diverse at that time. One thing that I think, you know, for me, I was watching, you know, Cosby Show and Hillman, like, you know, Different World on TV. You mm -hmm. were actually living that. 
And like you said, being able to have that foundation, that support, that nurturing has in a lot of ways, as I think about, you know, what I've observed in my research of you and our conversations and your evolution as a woman, your progression in your career, and even, you know, having watched the show and how you you raise your children, you know, your children are being raised in this like international landscape. But also, as you mentioned, education is always at the center of, of that. And being able to be um, really using the world as as their classroom and yours as well. You know, I mm-hmm. think that that's one of the things that struck me as I started to learn more about you and your journey. So you mentioned that, you know, you hadn't been out the country before <laughs> your wedding day. Mm-hmm. And so you and your husband, you guys are charting out. You're having all of these experiences probably you know, neurons are firing and all this other stuff. So when did you both decide like, hey, not only do we want to do this again, you know, because people say, oh, I want to do this again on vacation, but Mm -hmm. you all, you know, you picked up your children the first time and they were pretty small when you made that first journey step. So what was that whole conversation like? Yeah, you know, my kids were so young, the first move. Uh, is 10 years ago, actually, than when we moved to, to London in 2011. And I knew, I didn't have any evidence, but you know, I'm a person of faith. I don't like to say I'm a spiritual person because that means a lot of different things. I am a person of faith. And I prayed before we got married and we were contemplating where we were going our honeymoon. And everybody was like, oh, go to Punta Cana or go to Florida, you know, go to go to Cancun, you know, why do y'all, you know, why do you have to go so far? And I honestly had this feeling that we were going to live internationally. I had no reason to think that I never left the country. I had no evidence of that. That's why I said, I preface it, say, I'm a faith person. I pray a lot. You know, I sit and get still a lot. And that was just heavy on my spirit. And I was like, no, I think we need to go like out of the country for the first time. And so when he came to me years later and we made a commitment every anniversary that we would go to a different country and that we would just keep going and we would use that as our annual vacation because both of us, you know, I was practicing attorney. You only really get one vacation span, you know, and we would, we, so the first, first, well, our honeymoon, we went to Rome and Florence. Uh, second year, we backpacked across Spain. Third year, we went to Paris. Fourth year, I was having children. And then, lo and behold, it was time. And they called him and said, you know, we want you to move to London. I think had I not traveled before that, had I not had that feeling that that was going to happen and been comfortable with it, I would have been in complete and total shock. Not sure I re- really would have done it or been or felt that we could do it. And felt confident enough that there was something that we could do. Uh, so the first time he had that conversation, I had mixed feelings as a trailing spouse, as they call it. I had mixed feelings because as a lawyer, we don't tote well. You know, it's not like you can just pick, pick us up, plan us someplace else, and I can just keep on doing it. You know, you, there's this whole licensing thing, and nobody sits for the bar exam, takes exams, and passes Bart and does all this work because they don't want to be a lawyer. I mean, I know some that do, but I that wasn't me. I loved 
the traditional practice of law in, in most regards. I loved helping people. And I had found my niche by that time, uh, gone through, you know, the, the law firm pains and had pretty much, you know, set up. I was in-house counsel at the time for Rolls Royce. I had, you know, as my mama would say, a good job, you know, <laughs> don't you quit that good job. That was the messaging. Don't give up that good job. Make it good money, you know, it's so, right. Good money as opposed to bad money, whatever. But <laughs> I think I would have been in shock if there was still some feelings of in the back of my mind. I thought they were in the back of my mind. They were in the forefront more than I wanted to admit. The first time I stepped away from practicing law in the traditional sense. And I spent the first four months uh, in London when we arrived. Because my kids, my, my son was 15 months old. My daughter was three. I was still breastfeeding my son. So they were really, really small. And I spent the first four months. I did not know I was having trailing spouse syndrome or trailing spouse depression. Because there's a part of you that says yes. There's a part of you that knows that this is the best decision for your family. My husband's getting a job promotion. This is going to be good for us. And then there's a part of you or me that said, what in the world? <laughs> you know, what am I going to do? What does this mean for my career? What about the plans that I had? Because when you get married and you support and, you know, you take the background to their foreground in many regards, at least professionally. I had to do a lot of soul searching because you also, as Americans, we have a tendency of equating our worth with what we do, our identity, you know, and and especially you get into these doctors, lawyers, and Indian chiefs, we are notorious. You know, I am Juanita, the attorney. And if I am not Juanita, the attorney, then what am I? And honestly, that was a painful process to figure out what am I beyond what I do. and. I cried for four months straight every day because it was not easy. So you go through the natural settling in that's already hard and, you know, you go through that process, but then you add in having been a woman with a career. I did not give myself permission to mourn. I was trying to tell myself, I don't miss anything. This is great. And it was, and I don't, I, you know, this is what I want. This is going to be fine. And I don't miss the practice of law. And I don't miss the trajectory that I was on. And this is best for our family. So I must, this must be good. I must be excited about this at all times. I did not give myself permission to be a full dimensional being and allow myself to mourn what I was giving up, which would have helped me to move forward. And so my my advice to trailing spouses all the time is especially. As women, I, I tell people all the time, I don't have a ministry for men. Y'all, if it's a man, go talk to my husband. I don't know. But for women, I, I only know, I stay in my lane. I only know what I know. For women who, especially women who are giving up or, or transitioning, not even giving up, but who are going into a different season in your career, give yourself permission to admit that you may have wanted something else and that this is the path that you chose. You said yes cannot beat your spouse up. You cannot blame them for your sad days. There will be days because you are agreeing to starve a certain side of you. You'll find a different way to feed it, but hunger pains will come and it's okay. I wanted to be a judge 
by my 10th year of practice. That's not going to happen. And now I may have a judge show, you know, it may manifest differently, but that's okay. You know, <laughs> but when I watched all my friends become judges and I knew what they were doing in their careers for that path, I had to tell myself, you know, Juanita, you, you wanted that, but that's not the best. And I didn't believe that until I gave myself permission to mourn it. I got a life coach. There are expat life coaches out there that will help you as a trailing spouse navigate purpose and identity and this whole space. And once I did that and she weaved it all together for me, I had to convince myself first of the space that I was going to. And then after that, it became so clear and so easy. And then I started two-stepping all up in the trailer spouse world. And- <laughs> But that, that's so important. And I, I'm so grateful that you, you are so vulnerable in sharing that part of your journey, because, you know, you might not have had the forethought when you were in it to identify it as a syndrome and, and the depression that comes with it. But mm-hmm. what I love about it was that you, you sought help, you found that expat coach that could help you with mm-hmm. identifying what was going on, but also give you, you know, tools and skills to help you manage through it. Because I think without it, what could happen is that resentment of your spouse falling into a victim mentality and thinking mm-hmm. like, you did this to me, I was supposed to. The regret, as you mentioned, seeing other people you know, make those career moves. But I think there's, you know, what I hear from you is like this acknowledgement. And what happens, or at least what I've been observing as of late, well, at least, you know, for me, I'm in my now towards the late 40s, um, getting to this season of life where there's more perspective and less identification with title, but recognizing that there was a part in my life where, You know, when I, if I didn't hit this, and like you said, it's that American way of life. And now in this new season, I like look at, you know, different things or headstones and people don't have their title, you know, MD, Esquire, like, right. It's, it's, what are you remembered for? You know, mother, wife, child, you know, whatever that it's what, what difference you made to the people who loved you most is what you're going to be remembered for when all is said and done. And so, like I said, where I am in this season, it gives me a little bit more perspective and less attachment to those things that really in the end, at the end of the day, they're accomplishments, acknowledgements, but what matters most to me is what difference did I make in the lives of the people that I love most and who love me most? So I love, I love that we sat in that, in that space and that you shared it. You talked about purpose and finding Mm -hmm. purpose with the coach, which is a nice segue to purpose productions, your production company. (laughs) That is really um, your company that uh, you created to also serve as the vehicle for your show and your journey to Taiwan and now in Singapore. So let's talk a little bit about you making this, you know, career jump in a way to mm-hmm. explore your creative side, which 
most attorneys don't really sit in that space. <laughs> you know, a lot more than you think, though. Really? Lo- tell oh, me, tell yes. me. A lot. More. And, you know, part part of the journey that my life coach had me to do was to actually do. She was like, I'm surprised you haven't done this. Do the research, Juanita. And I'm like, research? Say less. You know, I'm like, that's what that's what she does. And so I started researching lawyers who did other things, who, you know, and like, I didn't even know there are a lot of actors that are lawyers. Like Matthew McConaughey was discovered while he was in law school. I didn't even know. I never knew that. The lead actor in the movie 300, lawyer, got fired from his job for going to a film festival. And like one of the top law firms, I swear to God, in the country, like there are so many and when you think about, and I started, I had to do the research because she was like, Juanita, there, here's the thing, whether you are leaving the country and decide, you know, I want to live abroad or I want to do whatever, people start projecting their stuff onto you. And there are so many boxes that people want to put everybody in. It does, it, you know, we all get our own special box and then someone hands us the lid and we put it on ourselves. And it only takes a moment of clarity to pop that lid off. You may even put yourself in the box. You may not even need any help. But for me, when I stopped practicing the traditional practice of law and I started really taking the opportunity for what it was and seeing, hey, I got a whole new season in my life. And there were some things that I really loved to do before I started adulting. And now I have the privilege and the opportunity to explore those things. And I was called everything from flighty to dingy to having a midlife crisis. And I'm like, first of all, I'm only in my 30s. Nobody has it. It's not even midlife yet. I mean, part of this is probably because I need to mature a little. <laughs> I mean, like, like who? I'm 33. Like, it was at that time, I'm like, this is, no, I'm not having a midlife crisis. I'm actually coming into my own. And uh, I started doing the research on. Every, I didn't know Gandhi was a lawyer. You know, I just, when you think about Clive Davis, who runs Job Records, Harvard attorney, who discovered Whitney Houston, you know, every, all of these different lawyers that had this creative side or these different skill sets, and then they use their skills in a different way. So I decided, uh, and she made me read this book called Whole Brainers, which was about being, not being left or right brain dominant but accepting yourself as a whole brainer. Cause you, you get a lot of flack. People think that you're all over the place. I mean, the whole blast of community, I'm sure people are like, why do you want to leave? You know, well, is it that bad? Why would you, and you get, everybody wants to know why instead of just letting people be and just letting people do them. But I, I did the research, decided, you know, production companies are just a way of handling the money. But I decided to go back and start acting when we were in London. And I just said, what if I go and audition? What if I get an agent? Maybe I get signed, maybe I don't. But taking that leap of faith. uh, And so I started out acting again, got some award nominations and all these things. You take the limit off of yourself and allow yourself to explore and really take advantage of the new season that you're in. And then when I came back, we moved back to America briefly before moving to Taiwan. And that's when I really decided I want to get behind the camera as well and create opportunities and empower women and tell some stories that otherwise you may not hear about 
or do things in a way that really benefits us. And I had this idea for a talk show. Uh, it was called Legal Notion. It was on Facebook Watch. And I was paying this production crew to do it. And then I started learning how to do it myself. And then I was like, I need a company. So I started a nonprofit called Purpose Productions. And we are solely focused on empowering women and putting forth stories for marginalized narratives and voices that empower people. And I had the idea for the show right before we left London. It just wasn't the time. And But I knew when they were talking about us going back to Taiwan, and I always knew we would live internationally again. Even after London it was almost five years, came back, I knew we would leave. I just knew it. I just had this feeling. And when they started whispering about it, I'm like, roll the cameras because this is it. This is the time. And all the drama happens when you're moving. People don't realize that. Like once you're settled in, it's cool. You do cool stuff. But the dramatic stuff that people need to know about <laughs> happens in the transition. And it's all about navigating change. We'll be right back. Are you a Caribbean American? Are you looking for a podcast that truly speaks to your culture and identity? Look no further than Carry On Friends, the ultimate destination for all things Caribbean American, hosted by me, Carrie Ann. Dive deep into topics such as culture, heritage, and everyday life through the unique lens of the Caribbean American experience. You'll walk away feeling more connected to your roots. Follow and listen on Apple Podcasts so you'll never miss an episode of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American experience. Your Caribbean American community awaits. Oh, absolutely. And and I won't give uh, too much away because I want to encourage people to, to watch. But you had no shortage of <laughs> transition, let's say, um, because you were making the move to Taiwan I know there were some weather-related events. Uh, there were also, you know, some more serious health-related mm-hmm. issues. Yeah. And then let's not forget the the granddaddy the of all health yeah. is the pandemic. Yeah. Um, as the backdrop, really, that served as the ba- as the backdrop to both moves, Taiwan mm-hmm. and now Singapore. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about that transition to to Taiwan before we jump to Singapore, mm-hmm. because that was your first time living in Asia. And so what was that whole experience like for you? They got to watch the show. It was interesting, to say the least. It was shocking. It was overwhelming. It was, at the same time, beautiful. It was all of those things, all wrapped in one. Uh, it was a true culture shock because, you know, moving to London, London is very different culturally. Even English, you know, British English and the American English is very different. Words mean different things. You know, please don't refer to your trousers as pants. You're going to embarrass yourself. Don't do it. Um, and but moving to a country where there's truly a language barrier and not visiting, but living is a total difference. And it was huge in terms of also our kids who are true third culture kids now. Um, they weren't babies. 
anymore. And they had friends and they had a life. And that move and transition for them, that was it was a heavier lift. It was a different type of lift. It was totally different. Uh, in Europe and oftentimes in, in that particular continent, we had options. Like my kids attended a, a British school. They started out in a British school just because that's what I wanted. Not because I couldn't get into the American school and there was a shortage. And, you know, when you apply, however, for schools in Asia, and I've heard this across the board in many of the countries in Asia, you are truly applying to school. When you're in Europe, you might be registering for school. It is a difference. And we learned that in Taiwan the very hard way because we didn't even know for sure that we were, by the time the company told us for certain that we were going, it was already too late to get our kids in. Like you literally need to apply for those schools a year ahead of time in places like Taiwan. Even here uh, in Singapore, which our kids got in, but it's not the same as in other countries like in Europe or you know, it's just not the same. And that is, I've talked to many other expats and I did not know that that was going to be the case. And so to parents who are out there thinking about moving with children, it's very doable. I encourage it. It's a great experience. But if you're going to apply to schools, you need to really talk to other parents and find out the timing of that. Because if, if you plan on going in Taiwan, you better apply a full year ahead of time. And you still might get waitlisted, even as an American, even for the American school. Yes. And that's just... Oh, that's just the spacing issue and availability and capacity issues that they have. And that's a reality. And wow. um, yeah, it, it was funny because the American school, I was like, well, why is it full of Taiwanese kids? <laughs> like, why, is it, why is that? You know, like it was just, it's, it's totally different. Um, but yeah. So I think Taiwan was hugely impactful I say, you know, I love Taiwan and I'm, I'm, I'm cautious about what I say because I, I loved our experience there. I loved the beauty of the country. I have a lot of friends that are there. And I say this all the time. You cannot escape racism. You, you know, it's everywhere. No matter how great of a place it is, there's always people. Uh, sometimes it's a matter of not necessarily being intentionally racist in the way that we know it in the U.S., but they're the microaggressions that still are birthed from stereotypes that they've only seen a certain type um, or haven't experienced anything different than themselves. Taiwan is very homogeneous in, in makeup in that way, in terms of population. Compared to Singapore, which is the total opposite. It's, I mean, people talk about Singapore, they call it Asia light, or they're like, oh, it's the London of Asia. And it is. It is. I, I'll put it this way. When I was in Taiwan, I used Google Translate at least six times a day. I Whoa. Have not, yeah. I have not opened the app since I moved here. <laughs> I have, wow. So let's double click on that. Yeah. Um, and not to let necessarily do like the compare and contrast, but um, <laughs> I think it is a, a nice little segue into to your time now in Singapore because you've been there now for a while. You hadn't, and correct me if I'm wrong, you hadn't been to either place before, like, well, had, I, or had you been on vacation to Taiwan I mean, or Singapore before? 
No, so I went on a look-see trip to Taiwan before we moved. Um, hmm. I, we went twice, actually, because we went once. Then the company was, like, taking a long time to make a decision about where people were going to go. And then we had to go back again to actually pick a house. So I went twice to Taiwan to visit before we actually moved. And then while we were living in Taiwan before COVID, we took a vacation to Singapore and spent a week here. And the funny thing is, I'm telling you, I'm a person of faith. You have to watch what you say. And your words really have power. We were walking in the gardens when we were here in 2019. And we have been in uh, Taiwan for like two or three months. The kids fall break. We were in Singapore. And I was walking through the gardens and I stopped. And my husband was like, what are you doing? I was like, you know, if there's a place outside of Taiwan in Asia that I could live, I could live here. I really would love to live here. And my husband was like, that's really strange because that's not going to happen unless I change companies. And that's probably never going to happen because at that time, the company he was with, they had just closed their office in Singapore. <laughs> so he was like, that's not going to happen. And I said, well, you just never know. And kept walking. Whoa. And here we are. I just have these feelings sometimes that, you know, just come. And I'm not, I don't have those about anybody else. So don't call me. You know what I'm saying? Don't ask me. I'm not that girl. I am not that girl. Okay. I don't. And so <laughs> I have it about myself. The Lord talks to me about me. Trust me, that's a large conversation. I don't have time for conversations about other people. But I, I, I did have that feeling. There is no comparison. Every every country has every city pros and cons. So, you know, I, I now love the experiences we had in both. Difference that I felt as a black person was I honestly felt like like I exhaled when I got here to Singapore just because there were no daily microaggressions that I dealt with. No one cares that you're here. They clearly are used to seeing us, being around us. Now, that's not to say it's perfect. It's not to say that the occasional microaggression may not rear its head. It is occasional. It is not often. In Taiwan, and we deal with this in season two a little bit and talk about it, there's no perfect place. It's not to put Taiwan down at all. It's a beautiful place, lovely. I have a lot of friends that are embracing it. This is, I think it's sometimes it's generational. It's, it depends on exposure. But there were there times when in Taiwan where in the building that I lived in for two years, every time I got on the elevator, somebody jumped? Yes. And I'd be lying if I say that didn't happen. Are there times often when I would sit on the bus and someone would get up and move because I sat down? Yes. And I'm not the only one. And that that's the kind of, you know, but no one's going to, you know, shoot you or kill you. <laughs> Police are very friendly. There's Facts. no, you know, what I'm saying. <laughs> I just tell people all the time: you can't escape racism, but you can live abroad and experience it differently and survive. You know, it's not it's not life threatening. It's offensive. It's annoying, but it's not life threatening. And so, when I get on the elevator here, do people jump? No, they don't care. I just think it's a difference in in being a Singapore is a very diverse environment. Not without every place has pros and cons. It's not perfect. There's no perfect place. Um, it just reminds me a lot more of London than probably any other place in Asia. And that's why they call it Asia light because all the street signs are in English and 
it's very hard trying to be vegan and you can't read the ingredients and you got to take out your Google Translate and see. There were these greens that we ate there that I still don't know what they were. You know, I treated them like collards, but they weren't a collard. I don't know what they were. It was like if a collard and the spinach had a baby, maybe with a little bit of bok choy cousin, that's what it was. I don't know what it was, but it tastes great. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's kind of those type of day-to-day of -day living experiences. And we even touch on that in, in season two, where I'm like doing shopping all wrong, trying to go to all these bougie places, trying to find my little vegan meals. And my friend Zach is just like, girl, can you get up in these wet markets and figure it out? Come on, you know, like, let me take you to go get the best fried tofu. Like you're, you're not doing it right. <laughs> so it's, uh, it, it's been a great experience. We, we did continue filming for season two through the pandemic and through the first lockdown really that Taiwan had this past May where things we were doing great and then things, and then we weren't. And moving from Taiwan to Singapore in the middle of the pandemic was a journey. And um, I don't want to give away too much because we're we're just now entering into beginning stages of post-production. We're still filming a little bit here uh, in Singapore. And it's been a journey and it's a, it's a lot. We touch on a lot of different things interracial dating is a big thing for season two because it was something that my husband and I could not speak on or give. We're highlighting a lot of other Black expats in their journey, a lot of other people and what it is that they're experiencing. And it's a beautiful experience and conversations. Interesting, funny. We're always, you know, it's always, well, I'm, I'm silly. So it's always going to be some funny in it. But it's real, it's honest, it's fun. There are some tearful moments, some cheerful moments. It's everything that, you know, we're hoping that season one gave and then some. So, that's oh my gosh, at. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. So, one thing I do want to like circle back on because you made a comment earlier about your children uh, when you made the move to Taiwan because they were settled and had friends and were older. And mm -hmm. so now that much older, right, for Singapore, mm -hmm. um, without giving too much away, because I'm sure it's it's um, tackled on the show. It how is. are they adjusting just in the whole? It's on the show. Kinsley's a teenager. When you met her, she was 10 or 11. Kinsley's 13. And you know, turn 13 in the pandemic and we have real conversations about, you know, what we talked about at, at the top of the show was my background and my upbringing of this stability and what that gives you. And the fact that I was on my 25th high school reunion, was it 25? Yeah, I'm old, I lost track. I think it was 25, yes. And I looked on the Zoom because we did it over Zoom, and I saw faces of people that I just forgot that I that I I don't remember not knowing them. I forgot that I'd known them since I was two years old, or that our mothers were teachers in school together and were pregnant together. Then we had known each other literally since the womb. Some people on my class, I there's one person I've known Tasha since third grade. Went to middle school, high school. She was my valedictorian. I was drum major. 
We marched all four years in the band at TSU, and she's my line sister, and now sits on the board for Dress for Success Chattanooga. And we didn't even, and we travel, you know, and we didn't even put together that, like, because I've known you my whole life. So I talked to Kinsley on the show about the fact that, you know, I've got these experiences, and you don't. And how does that make you feel? And it is a difference moving abroad with a teenager and the experience of that and how, again, with every decision, there are pros and cons. Oftentimes, I still think, and she still feels, that the pros outweigh the cons in terms of her development, being a third culture kid, multilingual. You know, she's seen 28 countries. There are a couple of trips that daddy and I took on our own you know, to get our alone time. But other than that, our kids have been everywhere. And that has truly been a blessing. However, the balance of that is what we show on the show also and getting to those real conversations about leaving friends and having to start over. And what does that mean? And what does it look like? And how do you feel? Which is a real consideration for parents. I think it was a real good dialogue to open that door if you're considering moving with your kids to see these hopefully well-adjusted kids as well as they can be adjusted with TikTok and everything. Now, I I don't envy their generation, honey, at all. I was telling a a friend of mine that I met here, can we try for an arranged marriage? Because I feel like these kids are going to (laughs) struggle. They don't have the 90s kind of love experience that we had. Like, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm thinking 15 years from now, I'm just thinking ahead. But just having the experience of stability and of continuity and even cousins growing up family time it's just it's very different for her and for my son as well and so yeah we talk about it I won't give away how she feels or anything like that but no 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 don't give it away because I I want to encourage people yeah tune in Yes. Um, but this is like a little little appetizer, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to get them, you know, excited about it as I am to to uh, see um, season two. So Juanita, as we start to close, you mm-hmm. know, you're you're in Singapore. You're you and your family are having this experience, and again, still within the backdrop of of COVID, of course. Mm-hmm. But what is next for you? Like, what do you think? is on the horizon that's a very good question which side of me <laughs> you know I think that's a that's the deeper question because there's so I, I've, I've surrendered to the fact that you know God gives us all different lives with different levels and different number of highways in it different lanes some of us have a two-lane highway some of us have three I happen to have five <laughs> so depending on what lane I'm driving down. You got um, the super highway. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, Ooh, this is hard to navigate. Thanks Lord. Um, but no, but I'm grateful. I am. I'm very grateful in terms of the show. You know, we're, we're wrapping up season two. I am in talks with a lot of people. It's so funny when we were trying to shop season one and no one could see what we were talking about because no one had done this before. This is the first show about being black and abroad, that's reality or otherwise. I mean, it's the first time that you even see people living abroad about expats, period, let alone black people. And so people couldn't figure out if it was a travel show, is it a lifestyle show? You know, they they couldn't see it. And now 
everybody's interested <laughs> in the show now. So it's like, people are like, oh, is season two going to be on Amazon Prime? I don't know. You know, we'll, we'll see. I just love the show. And so the goal for the show has always been to franchise for there to be an expat Switzerland and expat Sweden and expats London and expats, you know, South Africa. That's always been the goal. And that's what we'll continue to strive for in terms of purpose production. We did launch our streaming platform back on Juneteenth. Um, excited about that because so many people were saying they didn't have Amazon US or Amazon UK anyway. So they couldn't see the show. So it was really a response to demand. But in looking at different opportunities to grow that for other content makers so that we have the opportunity to be on a platform and basically eat what we heal, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fairness issue. I never take my business hat off, never take my lawyer hat off. Um, I'm looking at the landscape of, of content and ownership being so important and protecting narratives. So I'm exploring the options uh, and in true lawyer fashion, I know I'm saying I'm exploring the options. Most of the time, by the time I talk about stuff, it's uh, 10 things in the works already. I just know that you can't tell everybody everything until the, I would just show everybody once it's done. You know, people talk too much. <laughs> so, but there, but there's that I do. I'm working on another book. Hopefully it'll be out in March called heavy is the head. And it's about female leadership. And my experiences of being the executive producer and leading as a black woman in various cultures and continents from, yeah, I'm still chairing the board and still the founder for Dress for Success London. And also in, I just launched in Chattanooga, you know, heavy is the head to wear is the crown. It's not easy leading black and abroad either. And so that book will come out in March. And in terms of, you know, being a mom and, and a wife, that's always the most important things to me. And we're, we're going to continue to travel and, you know, take a break. Once I'm done editing, I'm going to go back to editing after this. This has been a nice break. Thank you for allowing me to come up for air. Uh <laughs> hey, thank you for, for being so willing and forthright to, to share your incredible story and incredible journey. And, you know, I always love having, you know, these touch bases with you and, I'm really excited for when season two comes out. And if we you know, want to do a lunch party, throw them at yeah. Blacks the Global on, on, on the list. But for people who want to follow you outside mm -hmm. of watching uh, the show, of course, where can people find you? My website is IamJuanitaIngram.com. And I am Juanita Ingram is my social media handle for everything. So Facebook, Instagram even TikTok. Um, you know, I'm, that's my handle for everything. For the show, it's the expatshow.com and that's the social media handle for that as well. The show is streaming still right now on Amazon Prime UK and Amazon in the US. Um, you can go to purposestreaming.com if you're in a country that you can't see it or if you just want to be supportive and give me the 1999 directly and not to go through the middleman. Um, it'd be lovely. And every time I see someone buy the show on our platform, I am like so overwhelmed with love and joy. And I'm like, Juanita, you cannot stalk these people and thank them every time somebody buys your show on your own platform. But it is a beautiful thing to see um, because ownership is so powerful. You know, we are a nonprofit. And so 
every, you know, the although part of the streaming proceeds are going to benefit Dress for Success in London and Dress for Success in Chattanooga. So we want to use this to empower other women all around the world. Yeah, that's that's how you can get a hold of me and and stay in contact and stay up to speed on where things are and where we land and and season two when it comes out and and when and where. Oh, that's awesome. And definitely follow Juanita on all the socials. Definitely support the show because ownership is important. Supporting Black content creators is equally important because that enables people like Juanita and myself to do what we do to serve the culture and change and affect change. So I am so thrilled that this journey is continuing and that we get to see and get inspired in all the things. So Juanita, it has been an absolute pleasure having you as a guest on the Blacks of Global podcast. Continued blessings and prosperity. And I look forward to more of you. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been great as always. Thank you for listening to the Blacksit Global Podcast. For more information on today's episode, be sure to visit our website at blacksitglobal.com. It's not only possible to live out your dreams unbothered and in full color, it is your birthright. Are you trying to sort out health plans, banking, VPN, and other connectivity for your move abroad? Well, have no fear. We've got you with the Move Abroad Starter Kit. Get yours today at blacksitglobal.com resources. That's blacksitglobal.com resources.